0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. As most of you know, last Tuesday, President Obama outlined his steps via executive action to implement sensible gun control laws, strengthen existing gun laws, and tighten loopholes in the gun-for-sale industry. I have with me, online from Washington, Washington, D.C. for the entire hour, Mr. Joshua Horowitz, who as Executive Director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, was invited to the East Room of the White House last week to hear the President speak. Mr. Horowitz is Executive Director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. He is a graduate of the University of Michigan and received his law degree from the George Washington University. He is currently a visiting scholar at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and the co-author of a book, Guns, Democracy, and the Insurrectionist Idea, that was published by the University of Michigan Press in 2009. Mr. Horowitz has spent nearly two decades working on gun violence prevention issues. Mr. Horowitz, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I know you've had a very busy week. We'll give uh, the people out there in the Wall of Power Radio Land a little personal background of how you and I met. In 1992, I had... uh, an extra ticket to a Bob Dylan show uh, with Chris Christopherson as the opening act at the Wolf Trap Pavilion in Vienna, Virginia. My friend Kurt Fusek from Boston couldn't make it. So he called me and he said, geez, I have a friend of mine who lives out that way and he'd love to come and see the show. It's the man we're talking to, Joshua Horowitz. We got to be really good friends, uh, remain great friends, and in 1999, I was honored when uh, Josh and his colleagues at the Coalition of Stop Gun Violence hosted me as a performer at the Million Mom March on the National Mall. Uh, That was an interesting day. Remember, I got there the night before, Josh, and we were gonna go check out the National Mall to see how it was all gonna suss out the next day, and when we got off the Metro, the first guy we ran into was James Brady and his wife.
1: Yeah, I remember that right in the corner of K Street, maybe around, uh, yeah, right around 16th Street. I remember that, yeah, that's right.
0: What an amazing coincidence. Take what you have gathered gathered from coincidence, as Dylan himself would say. (laughs) Now, he was, how would you, in in terms of uh, what you've been doing for the last 20 years, the Brady Bill was a fairly important Kickstarter to this part of the movement, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So, so I would actually started. I'm actually doing this over 25 years. So I was around when the Brady Bill passed, and the Brady Bill really was is the backbone. You know, the, the Brady Law is the backbone of of all our sort of gun violence prevention policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it does is it 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 makes people who are what's called engaged in the business of selling firearms. It requires them to do background checks when they sell a gun. So if, you're, if you have a license from the federal government uh, to sell firearms, you um, you, you know you, have, you do a background check. And we have now a very you know a, a system called the National Instant Check System, which I'll refer to as the NICS. Which when you go to a gun dealer, you go to the NICS and they check to see if you're a felon, if you've got a, missed, a violent misdemeanor conviction, whether you're um, you know, whether you've been, uh, um, adjudicated, um, a, a mental incompetent, I hate that language, but that's the language, um, or whether you've been committed to a mental institution, um, and it, 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 has those types of provisions in it. The problem, um, unfortunately, and it's the basis of all we do. And I think it's something that, you know, was not necessarily anticipated at the time, but. Um, the the what's happened is, is the private market, people who are not um, don't have storefront dealerships and don't have federal licenses or like at gun shows. And now, especially over the Internet, mm-hmm. are selling more and more guns without licenses, which means without background checks. So we've got a big loophole, which is one of the big discussions that we've been having. That the president talked a lot about this week.
0: Now, for those out there in uh, in our radio audience that are a little too young, James Brady, I believe, was Ronald Reagan's press secretary. Correct?
1: That's right. And he was shot in nineteen. Uh, Brady was shot when uh, in, in the same shooting in nineteen eighty one, that where President Reagan was shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that was the, sh- the idea that this guy Hinkley, you know, had some bizarre thing where he was trying to impress Jody, the actress Jodie Foster and ended up um really severely injuring uh, jim brady and um and wounding ronald reagan pretty badly i mean i think there's also a law uh, jim Delahanty. Uh, law i can't remember the, the actual law enforcement's name the officer but uh, delahanty but he was he was killed so it was a very yeah. severe shooting obviously the president the president was was injured um and you know then jim and sarah spent uh, a good part of their lives uh fighting for violence prevention i mean one of the things that I found, of course, they fought hard for the the, the background check bill that was now called the Brady Bill and the assault and ban, which ex- unfortunately expired. But, you know, we think of gun violence a lot of times in, in, in terms of homicide. One of the things that Jim Brady, you know, really showed, you know, we, we think, OK, you get shot, you get better and you recover. But that's not really what happened with him. I mean, he had, you know, severe, you know, he's limited in his movement and the gunshot really over time cause him to go blind and be depressed and it was really he was such a strong man you know mm-hmm. and led so many great things and to, to see his decline over time you know even 20 but related to the gun injury 20 years later was heartbreaking and we tend to think of this issue in terms of homicides you know who's got killed but i think it's also really important to think who gets injured and what that means for a lifelong disability and it's really you know one of the reasons that i stay involved is because just, you know, we talk about over 33,000 people get, get killed every year or die every year. But there's, you know, triple that amount who live with grievous injury. And, and it's, it's a, obviously, it's a huge problem.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about that afternoon in the White House. It must have felt, you know, because first of all, my girlfriend... Uh, reminded me I was walking out the door today to tape this interview to, to tell you, Josh, and your team how much the majority of the American public stands behind what you're doing and how much we appreciate. You folks, especially you folks at the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence in DC, for fighting the fight on our behalf. And I know a, a lot of times uh, you're going upstream, you're you're going toe to toe with the NRA that's funded by you know in the millions and millions of dollars. And uh, it must have been really rewarding and edifying to be in the East Room of the White House last Tuesday with President Obama as he was talking about these issues.
1: It, it, it was. I mean, there was a feeling that this had been over 20 years and maybe 20 years in the building. You know, the people had fought, you know, the Brady Bill passed and, they, and we quickly realized there's so much more to do. Right. Right. And there's and you think about how many people have been killed and shot just say a hundred thousand a year. That's two more, you know, that over the next two decades, that's two million people since the Bradyville, right? Wow. And, you know, and all the frustration and, you know, this, this is hard work, right? We, we do get victories occasionally, but, you know, you have to stomach a lot of bad stuff as well. And for the president to, to make, do two things, to make the, to me, the unrefutable case that we need better gun laws in the country. Right. Uh, but then also the emotional part of it. I mean, he, when he said, you know, I'm when they, when they have the kids in Sandy Hook in Chicago. I'm just so angry. And he shed a couple of tears. And by the way, for Fox News, they were real. I was three, three rows back. Those were real tears. I'm sure. it, the rest of us were crying too, right? Yeah, right. And, and it, was, it was such a catharsis because we, people, and especially people in the room who've lost, lost kids who've been shot themselves, they wanted acknowledgement that these deaths are preventable that their their loved ones didn't die in vain that this country is capable of great things and saving our children's lives mm. is one of them and that's what that the day you know if you look at the package of reforms I'm happy to talk about them yes, they're important please. they're important but they're not you know they're they're in, in the scheme of what can be done i mean they're modest steps right right but but what he did was use the full power of the presidency to put it in our laps and say I'm going to push for this as long as I live, basically, and we're going to get this done. And for people who have suffered with this loss for for decades, it was a very, very important important moment.
0: Uh, our guest is Joshua Horowitz, executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. In a in a minute or so, Josh, what? was new uh that president obama talked about that uh, that you think is doable and uh, uh, reachable and can be done
1: well you know people talk a lot about um you know the other side the nra said always says you don't need new laws we need to enforce the laws on the books and then of course when the president actually most of these were enforcement right most of these mm-hmm. things were enforcing the laws on the books they go crazy, right? Which is really unfortunate, and I think shows that they're really just interested in selling guns. And, they don't and, what, really and care.
0: what what are those uh, that are on the books that you don't think are being enforced
1: properly? Well, so I think the thing, the, the president's first piece, and I think was is 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 the most important. Well, I should say the most important, but a very important piece of this um, is that, as I mentioned, people are selling guns who are actually making money at guns who are probably meeting the definition of engaged in the business. Yes. Um but, you know, because the terms are somewhat amorphous, it's been it's been hard to say who's in and who's out and who mm-hmm. needs a license, therefore who needs to do background checks. So what the what what the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco Firearms did and what he announced was a a guidebook basically, about 13 pages of guidance to say OK, we now we have court cases out there. We have these types of prosecutions. Here's who's in and who's not. And if and they gave a whole bunch of different scenarios. And we're giving people the idea, you know, if you sell, like you know, if you sell from I, I have one gun that I'm going to sell to my buddy, that's not engaged in the business. But if I'm every weekend going to a gun show or regularly selling guns over the Internet to people I don't know, that's engaged in the business and you are going to. Um, need a license, and what that means, and this is what it means, is that you are going to be prosecuted if you don't file that guidance, and that's the big change. Before, because they hadn't, it wasn't necessarily clear who should get a license. There was some wiggle room. No more wiggle room anymore. And I think what a, what the president was doing is saying, "Here's in, who's in, and who's not," and I'm directing my U.S. attorneys to prosecute people who cross this line.
0: More with Josh Horowitz For the rest of the show on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, after these messages. I'm little teapot, short and stout.
2: Here is my handle and here is my spout.
0: No, Dad, like this. When
1: I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over and... me
3: (laughs) This is WWE superstar Roman Reigns.
2: It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
4: Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Enjoy all the flavors of Milton's, where they specialize in dishes like grilled jerk chicken, shrimp and grits, and much more. All made from scratch. Pick from Milton's large selection of beer and wine and finish it off with desserts like Bananas Foster. Milton's also serves breakfast every day starting at 7.30 a.m. The Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe is ready for the cold, serving seasonal dishes using locally sourced ingredients, Minnesota craft beers, and organic wines. New items include the cauliflower po' boy, harvest chili, braised beef tostada, and the pork banh mi. Find Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe at 2601 East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis and online at coopcreamery.coop.
3: No one offers more ways to save on appliances than Minnesota specialists at Warner Stellion.
0: Our nine Minnesota locations offer more brands at prices we promise won't be beat. Our customers expect to save money, but they tell us that our sales delivery and installation specialists are the number one reason they choose Warner Stellion. Now through February 26th, Warner Stellion has hundreds of top-rated appliances on sale at prices that will impress even the most demanding shopper. Choose Warner Stellion. We promise you're going to love your new appliances.
3: Hi, Matt McNeil, and it's one of my favorite times of the year. It's SUV month at Rudy Luther Toyota. The Highlander is an amazing vehicle. Features an available direct-injected 3.5-liter V6 engine, a bold look, space for up to eight, five USB ports, and tons of cargo space. Rudy Luther Toyota currently has 140 2018 Highlanders in stock, with financing as low as 0.9% for 60 months, plus the great Rudy Luther service I love. Stop by for SUV month at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley.
2: The Two Gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metza. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen?
0: You're back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. On the show for, uh, for the entire hour tonight, Josh Horowitz, the executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. Josh was recently at the White House when President Obama unveiled some new ideas via executive action to help curb gun violence. Josh, we were talking a little bit about uh, the 13 pages and the ideas that he put forth. If you want to expound a little bit more about what uh, the president is trying to do with these executive actions and how that's going to make us safer.
1: Right. Well, so we, we talked about trying to make it clear who should who should get a federal farms license and therefore have to do background checks. And I think there's going to be it, th- these actions will make people who are who are selling guns for profit on a regular basis will have to get a license. And that, I think, is a, a, a quite an, an important step. I mean, just to, to give you an example, you, you may recall that um, last year, two years ago, there's a shooting in a at a, a day spa outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The Azana Spa. Right. Um, the shooter in that case had a protective order um, issued. His his girlfriend got a protective order against him. He should not have been able to buy a gun, um, but he couldn't go to a federal licensed dealer because he would have failed a background check. But he went on a list a, a website called Arms List, picked a de- picked a seller who actually was selling without background checks, no paperwork. Hmm bought the gun and then shot up and killed his girlfriend in the day spa and shot, and shot a number of other people. That's why this is important. If you have a prohibition, you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. You shouldn't be able to go on the internet and then you know pick a, a little button on a website that says, no questions required, no background check required, uh, and then be able to buy a gun in a parking lot. So let's, let's, it's important to remember why this is important. There are people in who are dangerous, who should not have access to firearms and they can avoid the background check by, by either going to a gun show answering a classified ad or going online. That's what we're talking about. So that's why it's important.
0: But the red but hearing it. that uh, that the NRA throws out there all the time, uh, and you, you heard it from every Republican candidate after uh, this uh, speech in the Oval Office by our president, they're coming to take away our guns.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, I, I, you hear that. Um, But at the same time, you know, they always say guns don't kill people. People kill people. Right. Right. And what the president is simply trying to do is trying to help identify those people who are dangerous. And, you know, it's it's, as he said on the Anderson Cooper special at cnn it's pretty late in his term for him to come take the guns it's you know it's almost over right, right? so he's really not coming to take your guns and i think you know 90 percent of americans believe that there should be background checks on most gun transfers right um so i don't you know and and you we've had background checks now since the brady bills passed 20, you know, one years ago and no one's getting their guns taken away what right. the brady bill ha- has done it stopped over 2 million people who shouldn't be able to purchase a gun. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I I don't think, you know, people think that if you're a felon or that you've been committed to a mental institution recently, um, you know, those types of things or you're a domestic violence abuser that you shouldn't go out, be able to go out and buy guns. Well, how do you, how do you do that? But through a background check. So you're trying to stop people who are dangerous, but the person, you know, who gets a background check and passes it has nothing to worry about about coming to take their guns. In fact, the, the, the NICS check, National Instant Check System that does the background check is required to destroy the record within 24 hours. Hmm. So still, it's not even a... It's not registration or anything like that. It's a simple background check. So, and the idea that this is going to then turn into some kind of, you know, gun confiscation is sort of ridiculous. And the idea that, you know, Obama's going to do that is he's, you know, practically on... You know, he's on his way out. He right. Knows
0: it, well, and so. I don't think that was... You know, I mean, there's... <laughs> What it's it's an astounding figure three hundred million guns in right. the United States. I mean, there's not enough cops to to or or ATF agents to go out and do that. Let's talk a little bit. Let's let's bring this local uh, Josh because you know you've been to uh, uh, Minnesota. You you, uh, you know you just spoke in Minneapolis a, a couple of months ago, and we had a, a chance to get together and and hang out. But let's talk about you know we've got of course uh, you know I'm a gun owner. I hunt. I hunt partridge. I used to hunt deer. I don't anymore. But what can you tell us about gun violence in Minnesota?
1: So um, it's interesting. I mean, Minnesota is is a little different than other states. Um, there's you know there's more than one gun death a day in Minnesota. So I think in 2013 we had 427 gun deaths across the United States. About the, the gun deaths are distributed so that. On average, you know, most states are about two-thirds suicide. We don't talk enough about suicide, but of course, we should. And about one-third homicide, and a couple percent uh, others. Um, but Minnesota is a little different. Uh, Minnesota is about eighty percent suicide. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of suicide in Minnesota. So that while you're below the national average in homicide, you're you're right at you know you're you're at the national average in 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 suicide. And suicide's a big problem. And you know one of the issues i know it's a bugaboo to talk about this in minnesota but i'll just say it anyway you have you have high degrees of gun ownership a lot of hunters right right um you know there's there's a lot of alcohol use which is you know a, a, you know substance abuse alcohol abuse is certainly a, a risk factor for suicide um as in you know and people talk a lot about mental illness mental illness is actually not that big a risk factor for interpersonal violence mm-hmm. violence against others turns out to be a very big risk factor uh, for self-directed harm. Hmm. So, yeah. So, so Minnesota and I, and I, you know, in my, in my casual conversations with law enforcement out there, um, they are, you know, they, they're called to suicides more frequently. They are called to homicides. Uh, it's something they're very concerned about. They're very concerned about domestic violence uh, in Minnesota. So, um, and, and certainly, you know, there's, there's people People tend to think of homicide as sort of an inner city issue, but when you look at when you look at it, it's really uh, the, the overall gun death is dispersed across the state, um, and suicide is really quite a big issue uh, in, in Minnesota. So, the reason I say that is people think, well, I'll just get a gun for self protection. You know, that's why you know I'm, I'm you know I'm a I'm going to buy a gun and. I, I make the case that it's a very big decision to bring a gun into your home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to make sure, you, know, you have to really think. Do is there any depression in my family? Do I have youngsters in my family? You know, and the data is very clear that you know you have to really weigh those risks. And in Minnesota, I think that's a it's gun. It's a big gun owning population, and the and the suicide rate is is high. And those things are very very related.
0: Josh, who do you work with uh, in Minnesota? Who's doing the good work out here in terms of uh, mental health and guns and uh, gun control issues, gun control laws, et cetera, et cetera? Well,
1: yeah, the state group uh, called Protect Minnesota that uh, we've done some work with um, over the years. Uh, there's also, you know, there's, we were out there, uh, we were out in um, in uh, Minneapolis, as you said, a couple of months ago to do a uh a meeting on what we call I'm part of the consortium for risk-based firearm policy a group of academics and we talked about what the risk factors are we did a little report which you can find on our website about Minnesota um, and there's a you know a lot of great people come out there there's some strong uh, partners in law enforcement uh, groups in the mental health community and of course in the public health community so Minnesota has a lot of good um, good uh people people who are concerned about this issue um and we also uh partner sometimes you know are some of our national partners um are also involved in the state so you know there's there's a lot going on in minnesota and i I expect that over the next couple years you'll see a fair amount of action at the state house uh on issues like background checks and also we haven't talked about this but a policy called the gun violence restraining order um, which allows family members uh, and law enforcement to sort of call a timeout and to get an order that says, you know, my family, my family member's too distraught. I need to re- temporarily remove a firearm while they get help uh, for their underlying, whether it's mental illness or substance abuse or whatever. Well, with let's pick that just,
0: up, Josh. Let's pick that up in the next segment of the Wall of Power Radio Hour with my guest, uh, Josh Horwitz, executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. We'll be back after these messages.
2: The Two Gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metza. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen? Anytime is the right time to update your music collection, so stop in at The Electric Fetus and browse their massive selection. You'll find everything from rock and pop to international and roots, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Not only is The Electric Fetus the best stop for music, but they also carry a wide and unique range of gifts. Bath products, clothing, books, stationery, candles, incense, you name it. That's The Electric Fetus at 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at eFetus.com.
3: This is Ken Haglund of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our brand new show, airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to 1. The Minnesota Hospice Show looks forward to discussing how we honor life and to exploring the physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional issues we experience throughout all stages of life. Learn how hospice is the new face of hope and how it's your benefit, your choice. Join us Saturdays at noon and check us out online at minnesotahospice.com.
4: Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-priced bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy Center event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list, and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates available located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking or online at downtownerwoodfire.com.
2: Hi, it's Tom inviting you to the Blue State Ball VIP reception on Saturday, March 10th at the Blaisdell. VIP starts at 530, where you can meet and take selfies with me, Norman Goldman, and other AM 950 hosts. The reception is a hosted bar with butler passed hors d'oeuvres, great music from Paul Metza, and signed book giveaways. Then stick around for general admission at 7. So come mingle with me, Norman Goldman, and other AM 950 hosts during the Blue State Ball VIP reception. VIP tickets are at am950radio.com. I'll see you at the Blue State Ball.
3: With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight we'll see snow piling up to a possible 5 inches and lows around 19. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a
0: high near 31, and Monday will also be mostly sunny with a high near 37. Most Tax
3: Service has been working for you, not the IRS, since 1971. They're located in Highland Park in St. Paul and are one of the largest sites that electronically files taxes in the country. Call 612-721-2026 or visit mosttax.com. That's MOHSTAX.com. taxcom Oh <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzum. We are talking gun violence today and I'm honored to have on the other line a good friend of mine, Josh Horowitz, the executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence in Washington, D.C. Josh, pick up a little bit what we were talking about in the last set uh, about uh, violence and people that might, might be uh, in, in the danger zone with access to guns in your fam- friends or family.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of mental health and public health experts um, have said, you know, look, we prevent people who are felons from having a firearm. And sometimes you protect, you know, if you've been, if you have a domestic violence restraining order, a final restraining order, but, you know, a lot of what we want to do is we we really would love to stop violence before, before it gets escalated to a criminal or a, or a mental health adjudication. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, what, um, a number of people have, come together and thought about in this consortium for risk-based firearm policy, which on part is is something called a gun violence restraining order. And California just enacted the nation's first gun violence restraining order. And what it says is, if if, if a family member has, is it a substantial likelihood of future violence? And that means his acting out violently, his committing acts of violence, maybe you cu- couple that with, in the statute, you couple that with substance abuse or t- some type of mental illness, then, um, then you can go to court and you can make the case that this family member shouldn't be able to purchase a firearm or have a firearm for up to a period of a year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because look, people want to do interventions with family members and get them help, but oftentimes they're scared because they're armed or they're threatening themselves. And anybody who's ever done an intervention knows it's a pretty scary moment. Um, and so you know, making sure that the farms are removed from the situation and that the person can't go out and buy another one gives you some breathing room to get some help. And so in the Connecticut and Indiana have allowed this for law enforcement for for about a decade. and It's worked out very well. California now has a statute for law enforcement also added family members. So, you know, the domestic violence restraining order, if your spouse is threatening you you can get an order that maybe gets them out of the house but also removes their firearm Mm -hmm. but if the spouse is threatening themselves or a neighbor the domestic violence restraining order doesn't really apply so this is based on the domestic violence restraining order but it allows that family member to say there is something is wrong with one of my son my husband or whatever i don't know what it is but they're acting violently they're acting differently let me make sure let me get the gun out of the house let me and, and then and ask a judge for help and then we get some treatment um, and we're very, you know, we're, we're very excited about that tool. Um, again, though, you know, it needs in Minnesota because you don't have a background check on all sales, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you you have the same law as the federal government, which is if you're engaged in the business, you need a, a, a background check. But, you know, all those gun show sales, and all the sales over the Internet, a lot of them are not regulated. You need both of those things, right? You need a background check on all gun sales or most gun sales, gun transfers, because that's how you ensure that the prohibitions on Felons on on, on uh, those that have been you know um, committed to a mental institution, they're enforced, right? So right. we can d- develop things like the gun violence restraining order, but they need to work hand in hand with a comprehensive background check. So that's why I say, I think that those types of that type of legislation is going to be. Um, you know, and I think that you'll see them in, in Minnesota over the next couple of years. And, you know, I look forward to working with our partners to help get that stuff done.
0: Josh, what do you, you know, all this stuff seems so sensible to me, you know, especially when you're, you're talking about, uh, how dangerous guns, especially, you know, semi-automatic weapons can be. What do you, what is that, you know, the NRA and, and, and people like that? What, I mean, why are they against these, what would seem like just common sense to the rest of uh, us Americans? Why are they against these things?
1: Well, you know, I think at, at a common sense level and, you know, even most NRA members support all the things we talk about, right? They, they certainly support background checks, at overwhelming levels, and they want to make sure that people, you know, that the people who are, are felons and people who, you know, have been committed to a, a mental institution because of danger to self or others, you know, that they don't have that they don't have easy access to weapons and the only way to do that is 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 to have a background check. But I think there's two things going on. For one, the people who really who really don't want any regulation. It's because, you know, for, for a group out there, it's really not about gun regulation per se. It's about the idea that they need their gun unfettered from any government control because their goal is that they want to be ready individual They think there's an individual right to fight government tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's and we can talk about the Second Amendment, but that's not part of the Second Amendment. There's no individual right to, to fight tyranny. Because think about it. You know, one man's tyranny might be another man's universal health care. That's the way right. our, our, our democratic process works. You don't get to disobey the law violently when you disagree with it, um, but that's, to some people, you know, and and it's you know I've, I've I've talked about this in my book Guns, Democracy, and the Insurrectionist Idea about how there's a fund you know that there's a section, not all of it, not all of it, but a section of part of the gun world, should we say the gun or whatever you want to say, gun right? De-ment. I love that. <laughs> yeah, who who basically say, look, we don't want any. It's not about it's not about safety. You know, we don't. Right. We don't that, that's "Quote unquote collateral damage." What it is for us is to have a gun, have a farm to take on the tyranny of the government should we need it. Okay, there's also so that's one piece. Let's go revisit that in a minute. But let's also make sure that's very clear here. That's about gun sales. Right. And there's a. It used to be that the industry and the NRA were separate. They were separate entities with separate goals, and the industry is much more amenable to regulation. They didn't mm-hmm. care, right? But now they're the same, and and and. And and what's interesting is that the the board of directors, you know, there there are gun company executives and the board of directors of the NRA, and the, they're very intertwined. And so it's about selling weapons now. So right, you know, anything that might decrease sales in any in any manner, um, is is frowned upon. And the so almighty
0: those, the almighty Yankee dollar,
1: right? And, and 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 that's part of this. And I think you know bragging about you the industry brags about it whenever obama talks about um gun violence more sales go you know the sales go up and that's true and that's but but what's sad about this is that a portion of those sales right um are going to be used for guns that will eventually be used to shoot each other and and even more typically to shoot them people shoot themselves right so you know, the idea that, that companies that's worthless, people, sh- you know, I understand gun manufacturers want to make profits. But, you know, the idea that they're willing to, you know, they're, they're, they're willing to say, well, we'll make those profits. And, you know, this collateral damage is just part of our profit making. That's wrong. Uh, and that is, you know, been rejected by America and, and so many other products. But somehow we can't get a, get around it uh, for the firearm.
0: What is, uh, so give me your take on the second amendment because i mean that's the amendment that uh, every, everybody's got a different view of the fundamentalists and yourself so give us uh, josh horwitz's read on the second
5: amendment
1: well look i mean you know my read on that is that you know um, you know well regulated militia be necessary to the security of the free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed means Right, that it, you know means that it was a power split between the federal and the state governments. And if you read the original documents, there's no zero mention of in you know an in individual right to self-defense. It's all about you know how do you protect the power of the providence of the state militias. And that was super important, uh, especially in the southern states, because they needed their militias to put down slave insurrections. Remember, most of these people lived in minority white states at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were worried that the federal government would take their militias and send them off to fight some frontier war in Canada. Right. Right. So. So it's if, if you ask me, that's sort of the original interpretation. Now, we do have a Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has said and I think we all have to live with this, even though I have Josh Horowitz's view, we have to live with what the Supreme Court has said, which is there's an individual right to keep and bear arms to protect heart and home, okay? Right. So that means that people have the right to have a gun in their in their home, and I'm a member of a couple different bars in Virginia and in Washington, D.C., and I must you know, live by that interpretation, and I do. And um, But what's very important about that decision is it was very clear that also said like long-standing prohibitions um are like on felons for instance will stand Mm -hmm. and in order for that to stand that means you have to have a background check how can you tell if someone's prohibited if you don't do things like background checks and the court since then has been very very reluctant to get involved in cases so they just rejected a challenge to um an assault weapons ban in um uh, in, what was it, Illinois? Yeah, in a small town in Illinois, they said, we're not going to, that ban stands because the Supreme Court wouldn't get involved. They have not gotten involved in the concealed carry debate. Some people say there's a right to carry a gun in public. The Supreme Court has, has not weighed into the issues and where has not overturned bans uh, or prohibitions on states limiting uh, concealed carry. So... I think you have to think we do have a, a Second Amendment right to have a firearm or home to protect hearth and home and self-defense. self, def- and self defense. But that right, I think, like all other rights, is is has to be balanced against other rights, as well as to understand that it is a limited right. right. It's not a right to have any type of gun you want at any time. Now, I think if you see what's going on in Oregon now with the National Wildlife Refuge, that's where you see the... These individuals saying, you know, we're going to we want to change the law through the force of arms and we're going to protest with our guns to say, you know, this grazing the way we've done these grazing fees and lands and prohibited ranchers at some time. We want to change that. And that's what I talk about. That is what their view is, that they have uh, individual right to take on, you know, to have arms, take on tyranny. And I would say. That's one of the most anti-democratic notions I've heard, mm-hmm. um, I've, you know, and that's why I wrote about it in a book. I mean, the idea that, look, we go to court, we vote, we decide things. Sometimes you don't like them, um, but you live with them because that's what we live in a democracy. Right. Um, but we have and if you look at the the Bundy Ranch and now the National Wildlife Refuge here in in, in, in Oregon, you see the sort of the, the, the actual realization of people saying, I'm going to. I, you know, I want to use the force of arms and assault, of course they're all carrying AR-15 right. some of assault rifles, uh, to, you know, to, in, in, to, to have our little minority view, you know, be the law of the land now. And we're going right. to try to do that through force of arms. And look, that's Timothy McVeigh's idea. Right. right. Um, and you know, so I think that there, I think if you like the term, I'll use it again, but the fundamentalist idea, if you will, of being able to, Um, You know, you know, fight government theory through force of arms is ridiculous. And I think that has not been endorsed by the court. Um, That is not something I think most Americans believe in. But it is something that we sometimes we hear, you know, we've seen Mike Huckabee and when he was running for president say this isn't about this isn't about duck hunting. This gives us the fundamental right to confront our government. People just sort of slough that off as, yeah, yeah, but you know what? We're now seeing that play out in real time. Right. Uh, and we sh- we need to be really careful about that and realize that the Second Amendment um, has to be balanced against other rights and is limited in its scope.
0: Well, and you know, ironically, they're talking about the uh, whole federal land grab when they, when this group went from Iowa to Oregon and is now uh, occupying almost 200,000 Acres of land that belongs to the rest of us. We've got uh, Josh Horwitz, the executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. We're going to bring him on for one more set. Uh, Josh, we really appreciate your time, and uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit after these messages.
2: Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a hat. Whoever taught you to shoot a pistol like that? or oh, you snuck in the base.
3: Life after military service is different. Many veterans find transitioning difficult, feeling lost and uncertain about the future. These feelings don't take away from a veteran's strength, courage, or sense of duty. If you're a veteran in crisis or know one who is, the power of one person, one connection, one act of compassion can make a difference. For free 24-7 confidential support, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or visit veteranscrisisline.net.
4: Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-priced bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy Center event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list, and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates available located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking or online at downtownerwoodfire.com.
0: The local advertisers you hear on AM950 are the lifeblood of the station. If you find yourself regularly tuning in, or if you appreciate the diversity of content we deliver, please take the time to support our advertisers. Even if it's just to thank them for backing AM950, your voice and support can go a long way. Help keep the station going strong while investing in our local community. Find the complete list of on-air supporters by visiting the advertisers page at am950radio.com. That's
2: am950radio.com. This is Pat with PJW Automotive in New Brighton. I've been in business long enough to know that if you want to stand out, you better be the best. That's why I've assembled a top-notch team of automotive specialists who do the job right the first time. Bringing your car or truck to PJW Automotive is an investment in the future of your vehicle. Try us once, and you'll see it's worth the drive to PJW Automotive. One exit north of 694 on 35W and online at PJWAuto.com.
0: You're back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzah. My guest for the entire show, calling from Washington, D.C., my friend Josh Horowitz, executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. At the end of the third set, we were talking about uh, the militia takeover, of the National Wildlife Ref- Refuge in Burns, Oregon. Josh, talk a little bit more about that.
1: Well, you know... It's an ongoing situation. I think there's a, a really great op-ed in the Washington Post uh, this weekend about how this really was sort of allowed by the fact that the the original standoff at the Bundy Ranch spot uh, and nobody got arrested. So you have militiamen, you know, uh, aiming at federal law enforcement officers, preventing them from doing their job, and there were no consequences. I think there has to be consequences. I'm not, you know, advocating a Waco-style situation or anything like that, but I think when this siege, the second siege in Oregon, gets over, and it will get over, that these people will be prosecuted. Um, they've they've trespassed. They've threatened federal agents, um, and there needs to be consequences, or otherwise, that we will we will continue to do that. Continue this, this happen, and I think what irritates me. I mean, you have the whole gun issue about this. But the idea that this small group of people is taking land, which is really for all the people, everybody has access to that land right, right. now, including birders and others. That's a very important piece of land there uh, in East Oregon. It was, you know, it was really it was really designated by Teddy Roosevelt. It's a, it's a part of the Pacific Flyway. There's over 300 species of migratory bo- birds that go through there. Uh, And you can tell if uh, if you go online and look, the birding community, which is is strong, um, is, you know, really upset about that because they don't have access. And that's what I'm talking about. You have to balance things. Right. Right. That to them, this looks like federal tyranny. But to somebody else, the action of these militia men have now cut off something to to many people is sacred ground for many reasons. And that's. That's where the gun lobby sees their rights as more important than others. And that's just an easy example to show that, and I think something that we need to be much more cognizant. We have rights not only to use federal lands, but of course also to, to security and safety and to live our lives free from gun violence. And
0: the pursuit of happiness, which which Absolutely. kind of includes a, a, safe, you know, a, safe, a safe lifestyle. Absolutely. Now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I, and I know it's very personal for you because you, you know, you were very close to the Virginia tech massacre. You live right out there. You work out there. Uh, you were very involved with, uh, the families uh, that had young children, uh, killed violently at Sandy Hook and, and other tragedies around the country. How do you How do you feel as as a father and and as a a citizen seeing this type of carnage up close, especially with young kids? I mean, it's got to be just horrific.
1: You know, um, yeah, I I, I, I spend a lot of time with with people who have lost children, uh, people who have been shot themselves. One One of the folks who works for me, his mother and his father were shot. His mother died. Uh, one of the women I work with, her, her daughter was shot in the head at, at Virginia Tech and miraculously survived. Wow. But when you talk to a family member who's lost a child, and it can be years ago, uh, and it also can—I've done it—you know, within a couple of days of this, the 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 pain is physically palpable, right? It emanates from them and affects you, in, you know, in a way, and you can you can't you can't imagine because just talking to them, the pain is overwhelming, living that every day. I mean, people have to understand the unbelievable loss of losing a six or a seven-year-old huh. or a college student who went to Virginia Tech. These are losses that never go away. They're irreparable. There's no way to make them better. Right. And so people, some people just lose it and, and hide forever. Some people get out and do things. But when people say to me, God, you know, the NRA beats you up a lot. And you lose a lot. It's hard out there. It, what I do is not hard. Try living without your child. That's right. hard. Hmm. Well, um, I, I, and, and all I can do is try to make their pain, you know, try, try to try to do something so that the next family won't feel that. Um, and i become extremely close with these families. And that's why I, I keep going. You know, I, I originally thought, you know, I'd, I'd go into... I do this for a couple of years and then go back to private practice. I'm a lawyer. You know, I was in private practice and I'm just not going to do that. This is my life's calling. And the reason is, is because I've become so close with many of these survivors and I want to make sure that we don't have any, or minimized to the extent possible, this terrible, terrible tragedy we have across America.
0: Well, day. as I said earlier, Josh, uh, thank you so much on the on the behalf of uh, tens of thousands of us that uh, really appreciate the work you're doing, and the work of the uh, coalition Stop Gun Violence. Uh, you can make donations, uh, check out what they're doing at csgv.org. Josh, we just have a couple of minutes left. How do you answer the people said, if somebody else had a gun during any of these instances, they could have got the drop on the shooter?
1: Yeah, it's so it turns out it's pretty hard to do that, especially in a, in a crowded scene, right? And so when people get the drop on you with an AR-15 or a Glock, you know, 40 caliber, it's really hard to be effective uh, in fighting back. Um, I was recently, I, I had the privilege of being invited to do a simulation. I spent a fair amount of time at the range working on, on skills in the simulator. Mm-hmm. It is really hard. And if you don't practice, you know, on a regular basis, it's almost impossible. I will, I'll tell you this quick anecdote. Uh, my friend Pat Mesh, who was, a, who was at the shopping center where Gabby Giffords was shot and helped. She knocked the magazine out of the hands of Gerald Loeffner as other people were tackling her. Wow. Uh, it turns out there was a concealed carry uh, holder with a gun on scene at the Gabby Gifford shooter, but it was too chaotic. They couldn't do anything about it. And, and I, if I've, I, I, I've heard, I can can't—I have not talked to the person myself, but I've heard that the, the person said, you know, almost shot Pat May. She's just, it was too confusing. Right. And so, you know, when you bring a gun into the home, you're making, you're, you're putting yourself and your family at an increased risk training practice locking your guns they're part of this you you're going to be completely useless if you don't do any of those types of things and for most people they just don't take the time to do it
0: so how can we out here in minnesota who can we talk to how can we lend our support financially or spiritually to what cause what group uh who would you suggest
1: well like i said i would talk to protect minnesota okay um the other thing i would say is talk to your law enforcement Okay. Um, we, you know, there's there's a lot of law enforcement uh, uh, across the state. I know mean, Chief Harto in, in uh, Minneapolis is very involved in gun violence prevention efforts. Um, and, I mean, I think local law enforcement um, is a great resource. They want to hear from people. They want people to be involved. Um, and I mean, I think you know uh, the League of Women Voters, for instance, is very involved in this in Minnesota. Great. Um, so I would I would talk to the League. I would talk to local law enforcement. I talk to Protect Minnesota. And I'm 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 apologizing because I'm sure I'm forget forgetting somebody out there. But well, um, and you can find a uh,
0: kind of a great overview of a lot of these efforts uh, at your website, Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, which is at csgv.org. Josh, I want to thank you for taking the time to explain. Uh, these issues to us, these very important issues of our time. I look forward to getting out to DC. We got to go have a couple martinis at the Monocle, our favorite um, little bar there, by absolutely. the uh, by the state uh, by the Capitol. And uh, keep up the great work, Josh. You've got a lot of supporters, and uh, keep on as like my dad would tell me, keep on keeping on.
1: I will, Paul. It's been great to be with you. Thank yeah, you.
0: happy New Year, Josh, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Waller. The show was produced by Paul Metzler, engineered by Brad Knobber, and recorded at the Minneapolis Media Institute. We'd like to remind you to support our sponsors. We'd like to thank our guest, Josh Horwitz. Support Coalition Stop Gun Violence at csgv.org and like them on Facebook at Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. And like my daddy used to
5: tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.